As we continue in our Revive sermon series, our scripture for this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. I invite you now to listen to the word of the Lord to you. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, a rock and our redeemer. Amen. The theory of change that is at the heart of this letter is that people don't change. I mean, people don't really change because they have to or because they are told to. Uh, Parenting had me pretty convinced of this already, but this tracks well with some recent research done by a guy named Alan Dushman, who wrote a book called Change or Die. His research focused on uh, individuals who were involved in self-destructive behavior, who literally needed to change in order to survive, in order to live. And he found a couple of things. That one, even when faced with a life or death situation, change is really, really hard. And that most people don't find uh, it within themselves to change. And secondly, what he found as he, as he researched and studied the people who were able to change was that fear and facts uh, and force do not motivate people to change. I've seen this in my own life. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started trail running uh, around Austin. I wanted to, to change my habits. I wanted to get outside more. I wanted to exercise more. Plus, if you get tired trail running, it just turns into hiking which is great, right? It's a great transition. It looks like you were doing that all along if you're just walking, it's fantastic. Well, after about a year of running, uh, I decided that it was time for me to to sign up for a trail race and to run a race. And my finishing time was, was pretty good. So I started thinking about running longer distances. And if you know anything about running, if you're gonna run longer distances, it means that you need to, to train uh, more. Uh, so I got really into running for a while. And during these very idealistic two days that I was really into running, (laughs) I made a goal uh, to run a thousand miles this year. And then the funniest thing happened. I lost all motivation. Once it went from something I wanted to do to something I had to do to meet my dumb goal uh, and my Strava app, I became completely unmotivated. So what does motivate us to change? Where does change come from? According to the writer of Hebrews, change, or what we've been calling revival through this series, 
Sorry, I lost my place. <laughs> it doesn't come from admonition. It doesn't come from fear. It doesn't come from rules. It doesn't come from making a new goal. All of which the writer of Hebrews actually calls the law throughout this letter. The law doesn't inspire us to change. Grace does. Grace does. People don't change because they have to. But when they no longer feel they have to in order to be loved. People don't change because they have to. People change when they no longer feel they have to in order to be loved. The, the realization that you don't have to change your life in order to be worthy of God's love and acceptance is the most transformative power that you will ever discover, that you will ever discover. Here's how Eugene Peterson translated the verses uh, we just heard read. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. Let's see how inventive we can be. This is what grace does to us once we're no longer worried about needing to prove ourselves, to earn our worth, competing with one another. We're free to be inventive. I, I love this word. It's filled with possibility, creativity, and risk. One of uh, my working metaphors for the church is an improv comedy act. Improv is all about inventing something new, something that didn't exist before. In improv, if you've ever seen it, there's no script to follow. No one character is any more important than anyone else. And failure is part of what makes it work. I think the same is true for the church. In Tina Fey's memoir, Bossy Pants, she says the key to improv is agreement. You have to say yes. Otherwise, the scene won't go anywhere. She, she writes this. Always agree and say yes. When you're improvising, this means you are required to agree with, with whatever your partner has created. So if we're improvising and I say, freeze, I have a gun, and you say, that's not a gun, it's your finger. You're pointing your finger at me. Our improvised scene is ground to a halt. Because there isn't a, scene, a, a script to improv, unless you say yes to each other, nothing happens. It just grinds to a halt. But if you say yes, you can begin to create something together. She says it's important not just to say yes, but to also say yes and. And that's how you begin to invent something together. Here she is again. You're supposed to agree and then add something of your own. If I start a scene with, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you just say, yeah, we're kind of at a standstill. Scene's not going to go anywhere. But if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, what did you expect? We're in hell. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, yes, this can't be good for the wax figures. Or if I say, I can't believe it's so hot in here, and you say, I told you we shouldn't have crawled into this dog's mouth. Now we're getting somewhere. I reached out to a covenant member, maybe the, you know him, named Joey Newgart this week. Uh, Joey performs and also teaches improv. 
uh, to kind of ask him about this, ask him about these connections that I was seeing between improv and Hebrews. He said that saying yes is really about listening. It's about listening to what other people around you are, are doing, what they're saying, and then yielding, yielding to them, yielding your own interests uh, to meet them where they are. That's what saying yes is all about. Unfortunately, the church, like any other organization filled with flawed human beings, is full of people who would rather say no than yes. I know because I am one of them, okay? It's so much easier to say no. It's so much easier to uh, think about yourself. It's so much easier not to yield to what other people are doing, not to pay attention to what other people need, what other people's interests are, right? So much easier. But here's the thing. There isn't a script for the church either. We don't have a script. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand. The church is a community. It's not a set of rules. So when our first impulse is to say no to one another, when we fail to yield to each other's needs, when we fail to yield to each other's interests, nothing's really going to happen here that's all that interesting at all. But the good news is, because we don't have a script, when we say yes to each other, when we yield to each other, when we notice each other's needs and interests, anything, anything is possible. When I was uh, in my first year in seminary, I, I went to breakfast with a professor that I really admired. I had read all of her books before I had arrived there and enrolled in her classes, and I was just determined to soak up everything I could from her while I was there. And during our breakfast, uh, she asked me what uh, I felt God calling me to do with my, my career, my vocation as a pastor. And I need you to hear me when I say that the next thing out of my mouth was really, really lame. I mean, very, very lame. I think I was trying to impress her and trying to be original and said something about changing the world. Um, but it was so bad. It was so utterly unimaginative. Um, that I don't even remember what it was. Like, I don't even remember what I said to her. And she looked me in the eyes and she said, I can't wait to be there when you do that. <laughs> I think about this all the time. And the thing is, is that she knew that she wasn't really saying yes to my lame, incoherent idea. She was saying yes to me. She was saying yes to me. I bet... At some point in your journey, you have had encounters with people in the church who have said no to you in some way or another. And I imagine that that was painful. I imagine that that was hard. But I also bet that at some point in your journey, you've had encounters with people who have said yes to you, who have supported you, who have held you up as you've chased down whatever dream you felt God calling you to do. And guess what? Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Who, who or what is God calling you to say yes to right now? Maybe it's some opportunity that's be before you. Maybe it's someone. Maybe it's someone that you know could use a mentor, could use a cheerleader. Maybe it's someone who just needs you to say, I can't wait to be there when you do that. It could also be someone that you currently are judging, currently are resenting currently are withholding forgiveness. Obviously, 
we're not going to be able to say yes to everything and to everyone. Surely, I know, boundaries. I know that you have to say no sometimes. But we could make a better effort to have open hands and open hearts and open minds and to honestly respect what others are creating around us and inviting us to be a part of. Another thing that the church can learn from improv is that in improv, you are not the most important person in the scene. The people around you are. And your job is to serve them. Your job is to make them look good. But here's the cool thing. You are also in the scene. And so to everybody else, you are the most important person in the scene. They're serving your interests. They're making you look good. They're paying attention to you, yielding to your needs. So too in the church. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning, but you are not the most important person in the church. First of all, Jesus is. And after Jesus, it's everybody else. It's everybody else. And as you pay attention, as you serve them, the magic of the church is that they will be looking out for you as well. I realize that I have probably exhausted this metaphor, but I need you to hang in with me. There's one more way that improv can help us understand our life as a church, and that is that failure is a feature and not a bug. Failure is a feature and not a bug. If you've ever seen improv comedy, you know, you know that sometimes things just do not work out. They bomb, they fail. And so I asked Joey about this, and he made a distinction that stuck with me. He said there's a big difference between a failure to try and a failing trying. It's a big difference between failing to try and failing trying. Failing to try is what you'd expect. It means saying no. It means shutting down. It means not engaging with the people around you. Or it means inserting your own agenda when what you're supposed to do is yield to the interests of others. Failing trying is something else altogether. Failing trying is when you say yes. It's when you've made an attempt to listen and to yield to the people around you, to try to create something together. And it still goes like a little bit haywire. Joey said that this isn't really failing though. This isn't really failing. And sometimes what looks like a fail ends up being a gift. Thanks to Joey, failing trying is now my new motto for my life. John Watson, failing trying, it's my new Twitter bio. I'm literally doing it right now. <laughs> but it's also a good description of the church. We'll never get it completely right. Sinners such as we are, we will mess this thing up. We will fail, even as we attempt to live out our mission. But my friends, let our failure be, not be a, a failure to try. Let us fail trying to be the community that God dreams us to be. Because of course, of course, Failing trying is the only way, it's the only way that we will be able to receive grace. We learned a lot of lessons, I think, from the last year of, of doing church, hashtag online. For me, the biggest lesson is that church is not content. It's a community. Church is not content, it's a community. At the center of the church is an, not an idea, it's a connection. It's a connection between God it's a connection between each other, everyone who's here. That's why the writer of Hebrews encourages us in this passage not to give up the habit of showing up for each other, 
in service and in worship. There's so, so much content that is vying for our attention right now. There's podcasts and shows and social media and news and TikToks. There's just so many TikToks. And they're all promising something else, entertainment, distraction, advice, or they're trying to sell me shoes. The thing about the church is that the medium really is the message. The medium really is the message. Grace is not just an idea you understand. It's something that you receive from outside of yourself. Left on our own, we will either judge ourselves too harshly and live with constant shame, or we will go looking to justify ourselves and therefore live with constant anxiety. Grace is not self-evident. We need other people to offer it to us. Which means that if we want to change, if we want to experience revival, we need more than just weekly content. We need each other. So let's make an effort to say yes to each other more often, to support each other, to serve each other, to make each other look good. We may fail trying, but then again, as Joey pointed out, sometimes the greatest fails are also the greatest gifts, especially when they lead us back to grace. When after all is said and done, it's the one thing that can change us anyways. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.